The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta. At Delta Airlines, we're committed to donating 1% of our net profits to charities around the world. For more information about Delta, visit Delta.com. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, June 11th. In today's news, U.S. allies are fuming at Donald Trump over his attacks on Canada's prime minister. Net neutrality ends today. And the head of Starbucks is taking serious steps toward a run for president in 2020. But first, the big idea. Smiles in Singapore could mask the gulf between the U.S. and North Korea. When President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un shake hands for the first time and sit down one-on-one in Singapore later today, the good vibes they plan to project will mask the huge gulf between their two countries as diplomats struggle to broker a deal for the rogue state to abandon its nuclear weapons. The decision by Trump and Kim to begin the Singapore summit without their top advisors or nuclear arms specialists underscores that their real goal here is to develop a personal rapport and stage a global spectacle rather than ink the technical details of a denuclearization accord. Both nations have sought to lower expectations for a breakthrough this week. Trump has described the summit, which starts at 9 p.m. Monday night Eastern time, as the first step in what could be a lengthy process. He's even dangled the possibility of inviting Kim to the White House for a second meeting. And in an indication that Kim is like-minded, North Korean state media has described a process of normalizing relations with the United States that would unfold over time. When Trump meets Kim, the two leaders plan to shake hands and take a ceremonial walk before cameras. Then they will have an hour or two of private discussions. Only their interpreters will be in the room. Then they'll be joined by their top advisors for a more traditional bilateral meeting. Trump and Kim's representatives labored yesterday at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel to find some agreement on the substance of an eventual nuclear arms deal. The talks were preceded by negotiations over the past month in New York and the truce village along the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. These working-level sessions, including those led by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, have foundered repeatedly over basic issues of what the summit should be about and an inability to close fundamental gaps in understanding over North Korea denuclearization. A key stumbling block has been what comes first. The North Koreans want a firm security guarantee, meaning a promise that the U.S. won't attack or seek to overthrow Kim. The Americans want a substantive denuclearization pledge. Two U.S. officials familiar with the planning say the North Koreans became more communicative and cooperative after Trump announced on June 1st that the summit was back on, but only to a point. Run-up meetings were thin on technical nuclear discussions, officials say, and they looked almost nothing like any of the painstaking preparation you would have seen for arms control summits in the past, especially between the United States and the Soviet Union. In fact, the U.S. delegation in Singapore does not include anyone with high-level expertise in either nuclear inspection or verification. So lower your expectations. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Trump has left America's closest allies dismayed after he yanked the U.S. endorsement of a Group of Seven economic agreement and then unleashed a Twitter attack on Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The president's actions followed the G7 summit, 
which was hosted by Trudeau in Quebec. The leaders of the seven industrial powers had managed by Saturday afternoon to overcome their differences and cobble together a joint statement expressing common support for free trade being good. It was a pretty non-offensive, non-controversial statement. But while fielding questions during a press conference, the prime minister reiterated his objections to Trump's tariffs on steel and aluminum from Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. His criticism set Trump off. The president's actions deepened the divide between the U.S. and its allies, and European leaders on Sunday expressed shock and resignation at this latest signal that the president is eager to defy diplomatic norms and blow up relationships that have been strong for decades. This all matters because Trump has estranged himself from America's closest allies at the very moment he's about to stride onto the most important world stage he has assumed since taking office. Trump's strategy for pressuring Kim to give up his nuclear weapons has depended on isolating North Korea from the rest of the world. But he arrives in Singapore looking isolated himself. Number two, two pivotal developments this week could dramatically expand the power and footprint of major telecom companies, altering how Americans access everything from political news to Game of Thrones on the internet. Monday marks the official end of the U.S. government's net neutrality rules which had required broadband providers to treat all web traffic equally. The repeal is part of a campaign by Ajit Pai, the Republican chairman of the Federal Communications Commission, to deregulate the industry. Then, on Tuesday, a federal judge is set to rule whether AT&T can buy Time Warner. AT&T is already the second largest wireless network in the country, and the purchase would let it gain a content trove that includes HBO and CNN. The Justice Department filed a lawsuit against the merger, arguing that a combined company would harm its rivals. Public interest advocates say these two events in Washington could lead to further consolidation of wireless cable and content giants. They fear that behemoths like AT&T will someday soon prioritize their own TV shows and other content over rivals' content. Internet service providers deny they would engage in such practices, but if they do, there will be little recourse for consumers. Number three. For a guy who says he's not running for president, Starbucks executive chairman Howard Schultz sure checked a lot of political boxes over the past week. After announcing his resignation from the company, he published a snappy new website, revealed plans to write a book, and sent an open letter to his employees announcing his desire to explore, quote, public service, the ye olde euphemism for politics. But he also divulged something else, a willingness to challenge the liberal orthodoxy that courses through the Democratic Party. In an interview on CNBC, he dismissed single-payer health care and guaranteed federal jobs, two topics that have become all the rage on the left. In theory, there's a real opportunity for an outsider to take over the Democratic Party and challenge Trump, just like Trump did in the Republican Party. The problem has been finding the right person to do it, particularly in a party whose voter base is more inclined to favor government experience. The political outsiders who have explored candidacies include some of the biggest names in the corporate world, but each of them ultimately decided to give up the dream, at least for now, after feeling out Democratic strategists and looking at the math. Schultz, though, has been preparing for longer than other non-politician candidates for a potential run. He's had discussions with Republicans and Democrats about a possible campaign dating back as far as a decade ago. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, June 11th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.